This is Surgication. Surgical education for parents. We are here to inform, inspire, connect, and heal. When treating seriously ill babies is the little things that count. H. William Clatsworthy Jr. Inguinal hernias, umbilical hernias, and diastasis recti. Surgication Episode 3 with Anthony Sandler, Surgeon in Chief from Children's National Hospital. Hi, welcome to Surgication. This is Dr. Michael Petrosian. Um, many of you know that pediatric surgeons do a lot of operations in kids, but one of the most common operations that we perform is actually inguinal hernia operation. And today I have the privilege to have Dr. Anthony Sandler as a guest speaker. He's a surgeon in chief at Children's National Hospital, and he'll be talking to us about the most common hernias that pediatric surgeons usually encounter, which is inguinal hernia. And we'll briefly talk about umbilical hernias as well as some of the stuff that parents confuse, like diastasis recti or epigastric hernias. Thanks, Michael. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, I'm really impressed with the work you're doing on surgication. I think it's going to be of immense benefit to children Thank and you. their parents. Thank you. So why don't we talk about what is the incidence of hernias? And when the parents come to usually what uh, first thing they tell you when they come here? Is- so when they come to the pediatric surgeon's office, they usually come from their pediatrician as a referral. Um, before we get into the incidence or the number of cases of hernias, uh, we must first understand what a hernia is. And a hernia is when you have a weakness in the abdominal wall or a little opening and part of the viscera, the viscera being the intestine or an organ within the abdomen, protrudes through that defect. And it sticks out, and that's what a hernia is. So the incidence of hernias are different. The two most common hernias that pediatric surgeons deal with is the umbilical hernia and the inguinal hernia. The inguinal hernia is the one that's in the groin and extends down into the scrotum in boys. Uh, hernias are very common. And they're one of the most common operations that pediatric surgeons perform. Um, For example, the inguinal hernia is found in about five of a hundred normal full-term babies. Which is a groin hernia. Which is a groin hernia. Parents refer to this as a groin hernia. Absolutely. This is the groin hernia, the inguinal hernia. And it's uh, more common than people realize. The, The groin hernia has an incidence, as I said, of about five in a hundred if you're a full-term baby. But if you're a premature baby, the incidence is much greater. And that's why many premature babies have inguinal hernias. In fact, the the incidence in premature babies uh, is about 10 to 15%. And the more premature the child is, if they're about 28 weeks uh, uh, gestational age, well, we all know that the gestational period is a full nine months. But if they're 28 weeks gestational age, uh, full-term being 40 weeks, then the incidence of the inguinal hernia is as much as 35% of children. That's 35 in 100 children will have a hernia. And then in prematurity, the risk of having bilateral hernias, meaning on both sides of groin, is higher than in kids who are full-term. Absolutely. So, the incidence of a bilateral hernia is only about 10 to 15%. Uh, but if you're premature, then the chance of having it on both sides is higher. Most likely presentation that usually we see in clinics are parents telling us, well, I was showering my baby, and I saw the swelling on the groin area. Uh, what is it? Or a pediatrician thought it was a swelling there. That's, the usually, that's usually how they present, at least in clinic. It's quite uh, surprising for a parent, and I think it's very disconcerting when they see this bulge sticking out, and they get very concerned, and they think of a tumor or a growth. 
And most of the time they'll notice and they, and they describe a bulge or swelling that comes, sticks out, and then goes away. And that's sort of the classic finding of an inguinal hernia. Or an umbilical hernia, and we can discuss umbilical or belly button hernias later. And it's often useful for parents to take pictures if they see that. Nowadays that we all have phones with cameras, it's easy to take a picture, and it's easier to diagnose when you see it in time because the hernia disappears, meaning it goes back into the abdomen intestine that sticks out. So a lot of, it helps to have pictures if you can't catch the hernia in time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's a classic example of I had something, I went to the doctor's office, and it wasn't there anymore. So yes, I agree with you. If, it, if the hernia is sticking out and it's the first time the parent has seen it, uh, obviously a, a conservative picture, it's a private area, but take, an area, uh, take the groin, if it's in the groin, and you'll see the bulge and the swelling. And I think it's a good document to show the, the clinician or the, or the physician uh, what you're dealing with or what so, you saw. So to that point, once we have the picture or we diagnose it, is there any additional studies parents need? Sometimes I'll ask you, well, do I need any x-rays or ultrasounds or any other imaging that you can diagnose with? Yeah, there really isn't much. This is a great example of a, of a clinical diagnosis. And infrequently, if you do an ultrasound or an x-ray when the hernia is back in the abdomen, when the swelling that's come out has gone back in, then you won't see anything. So it's really a waste of time. In fact, sometimes in the clinic, I even see a patient and I'm confused of whether they really have a hernia. The story sounds pretty good, but I don't feel a thickening of the cord on that side or I don't feel any abnormalities on my palpation of the groin. And uh, it can be very con uh, confusing. Uh, so if you do have a picture, I think that's a great idea, but no other exa examinations or special tests are necessary. Once in a while, an ultrasound can be performed if you're trying to differentiate a hernia from a hydrocele. And a hydrocele is really a hernia, but there's fluid in the hernia itself. It's a fluid hernia in a way of thinking about it. Dr. Petrosian, thank you for these uh, beautiful graphics. I think they're important to, so that parents can understand what the inguinal hernia is. Um, as you can see, there's all these organs within the abdomen, and these organs... These, these organs uh, are then entrapped by a normal abdomen with no openings. When you have an opening in the abdomen, as you can see over here, towards the scrotum, the bowel can transcend down, and that is an inguinal scrotal hernia. This is actually a scrotal hernia when the bowel goes all the way into the scrotum, but when it just stays in the inguinal region or the groin area, as it is in this picture, that is an inguinal hernia. Well, how does a, a hernia form? I think it's a, important because it's so common that parents understand. When the child's about seven months of age, the testes are in the abdomen, just starting to emerge through the inguinal canal, which runs down this area. These testes then descend to go down to the scrotum. And as they descend, they pull part of the lining of the abdomen, which is the peritoneal lining that comes down. And this peritoneal lining then usually seals. And if it seals in this area, there's no room for an inguinal hernia to descend. But if the hernia is not closed or the, the, the lining is not closed off, and as the testis descends down, this remains open. And that is where a hernia can occur by passing through that defect. Okay, so now we have the diagnosis of hernia and... What do you tell parents? Because I know a lot of them want to get fixed. 
And there's different kind of ages in between. There's premature babies with hernias. There's babies that are full-term with hernias. When are you going to proceed with the operation? With growing hernia in premature baby versus a growing hernia in full-term baby. So the, the first question is, does the child need op- an operation or surgery? And yes, this is a great example of where surgery is really beneficial and absolutely necessary. And why is surgery necessary? Because the hernia can come out, and the hernia is often a loop of intestine that can stick through this defect in the abdominal wall, and it can get stuck. And when the hernia gets stuck, it swells up, and or it can twist. And you can basically, we then call it incarcerated hernia. Yeah, and those inca- terms are incarceration or strangulation. Those are the terms you'll hear from surgeon, but all it means is stuff getting stuck or stuck not being able to go back in. Absolutely. for the parents to understand. And the strangulation is when it loses its blood supply. And that can be very, very dangerous. And the children, when this happens, the hernia doesn't go away. The hernia comes out, gets stuck out. It's very sore. It can get red and inflamed. Your child can start vomiting. And that is a case where it becomes an emergency. I wouldn't wait around. I wouldn't uh, think, oh, I'll get get to see the doctor in a couple of weeks. If that happens, you go to the hospital immediately to the emergency room and they will either push it back to get it reduced or they'll take your child to the operating room. Now, if you came and saw me in the clinic because you had a hernia that came out and went away and came out, I would schedule you electively to have the hernia repaired. And the reason we repair it, because these hernias don't close on their own, specifically inguinal hernias will not close on their own. And the risk of it getting incarcerated can be significant. Now, if your child's in the operating room in the neonatal unit, for example, we can often fix it before the child goes home, and then you won't have to worry about it when you go home. Other surgeons will sometimes send the child home, wait for the child to grow, and then it's uh, suitable for the family and suitable for the surgeon. An older child who has an inguinal hernia should be repaired on an elective schedule. Uh, of course, with what I told you earlier, that if the hernia came out, got stuck, got strangulated, made the child sick, that's an emergency. But besides that, an elective operation is perfectly fine for these children, and they should come back at the right time when everything is set and have the uh, inguinal hernia repaired. So for those parents with Kids with inguinal hernias, those hernias require operation. They're not going to go away. You need to seek and see a pediatric surgeon who then will fix those hernias at appropriate time given your child's condition, whether it's prematurity or full term, and they'll determine that compared to umbilical hernias, which we'll talk about. So a lot of parents uh, would want to know, how do you fix those hernias? There is a new way of doing it, minimally invasive or laparoscopic, which is now the terminology everyone uses with little small scars, which is an open operation. How do you determine and, and what do you, I know what I do in my practice, but maybe tell a little bit to the parents, what do you, how do you fix the hernias, whether it's the female, male, there are differences and whatnot. So there's lots of ways of doing this and all surgeons will do what they're most comfortable doing and what they do best. And I think that's the most important criteria. You're absolutely right, uh, Dr. Petrosian. Um, the operations have, have evolved from an open operation, which was a very small scar, to a laparoscopic operation, which is uh, three little holes. And, and time will tell what the, what the better operation is, but we think right now for a, a, a young boy that a minimally invasive approach is probably the best because the intervention is minimal as far as any injury to the blood vessels or the duct that goes to the testis. Um, however, 
we don't know for sure whether that operation will have as good long-term effects as the open operation, which has a very low recurrence rate. Less than 1% of children who have an open inguinal hernia will have a recurrence of that inguinal hernia, uh, which is one in 100. With the laparoscopic approach, the incidence is a little higher. It's been reported to be as high as 6 in 100 children, but it's probably around about 3 in 100 children who have it. Recurrence meaning, sorry, recurrence meaning it's going to come back. Yes, so, absolutely. So if you're having, what Dr. Sandler is saying to those parents is, if you haven't had an operation in the open way, there is less than 1%, less than one child out of the 100 will have recurrence, meaning it'll come back. And if you have laparoscopic, roughly close to 6%, or 6 out of 100 will come back. Hernia. That is correct. And I think what the message should be is that both operations are very good. Uh, the surgeons will have their preference and the surgeons will decide what they like most. But as long as they've been doing it and they do it well, I think you could have either operation. Now, is there a difference between females and males? Normally, we tell parents the female groin operation is relatively easier in a way that there's not a lot of vital structures around the hernia itself. Little girl hernias are much easier because you don't have vital uh, structures like the duct and the blood vessels to the testes. Um, the operation is really very similar. You're closing the same defect, but nothing of any consequence has gone through that defect uh, or remain, that, that, that remains there after the surgery. So the hernia goes through the defect, but there's no testis in a little Correct. girl that moves through the but, defect. But we do have sometimes the bulge that parents complain in female, uh, in girls, and that's most likely either an intestine or an ovary that can migrate and get into that area and incarcerate or get stuck in there. Absolutely. That that's, becomes an emergency. Absolutely. So the ovary that gets stuck in the hernia sac or in the groin does become a, an emergency uh, because that also can strangulate or twist or volvulize and lose its blood supply. So we need to preserve the, the ovary. Most of the time those ovaries are easily mobile and they're not, they're not that stuck. They're just located in that area. And then we have to push them back and fix the inguinal hernia just like we do. The child has an operation, everything goes well. What are the, some of the most common, I should say, although rare, complications that can happen with the uh, operations around the groin area, whether it's being female or male? So um, this is obviously a very important question because parents are very concerned about the complications of surgery. I can reassure parents that this operation has a very, very low incidence of complications. And the complications that surgeons do try and prevent to the best of their ability is bleeding, as in any operation, infection, as in any operation. But when you're operating on the testis, it's also an injury to the vas, which is the duct that carries the semen from the testis uh, later in life. And um, although this is reported, it is a very rare complication. The complication of not doing surgery is significantly higher than the complication of doing a surgery on, the, on your child. So my strong recommendation is that the, uh, the parents should feel very comfortable and very reassured that it's a good operation with extremely low complication rate. If you have a child with groin hernias, or as we call it, inguinal hernias, you should seek to see a pediatric surgeon at your local area or can see us in Washington, D.C. if you're close enough. Okay, so now that we've talked about... Um, <laughs> One of the most common hernias uh, we perform, uh, let's talk about umbilical hernias. That's another most common 
one of the other most common operations uh, pediatric surgeons perform, and there's a lot of kids with umbilical hernias that we see, and we do perform a lot of umbilical hernias. Uh, how do they present, and, and what do you tell parents when they see you see a child at a certain age with umbilical hernias? What do you tell them? So umbilical hernias are a little bulge through the belly button, and we call them belly button hernias as well. The medical term is umbilical hernia. Uh, umbilical hernias are very common. They're more common than the inguinal hernias, and the risk of a, of a belly button hernia is very, very low. As I described, where you can get incarceration, which means the bowel comes through and gets stuck, it can occur, but it is extremely rare. In that case, it is also an emergency or an urgency and needs to be repaired. Most of the time, belly button hernias come and they go, they move up and down, and they protrude. And that's what you see, a protrusion at the belly button. These hernias, although they're so common, do not have to be operated on immediately. Uh, in fact, we prefer not to operate on them before they're about three or four years of age because many of them, or should I say most of them, will close spontaneously on their own. And the way they close is the be belly button really clamps down around it and seals that area off. Because when the baby's born, we know that the umbilical cord and cord structures come through that defect. You have a vein and two little arteries or remnants, as well as sometimes a remnant from the bladder called the urachus that protrudes through that defect. What normally happens is those progressively shrink, scar down, and then the, the umbilical uh, wall or the fascia, the tissue around the umbilicus, cicatrizes, which means it closes, closes in a circular way, and that seals it off. So belly button hernia is very common. We don't need to fix them unless they're persistent and unless they're large over the age of three years old. So when do you fix the hernias? Uh, I know there's age that you just mentioned at three to four years of age, uh, usually when we recommend closing them. But we do see a lot of parents who are concerned. Uh, I think the most important thing to parents, as you alluded, not to be concerned. These hernias will close. The ones that are uh, get stuck and you know get red around that area, they don't go down, those are the kids that need to be brought to the emergency room for evaluation. But for the most part, the hernias usually will close spontaneously or by themselves and they go away. So when do you decide when to fix the hernia? Let's say a child who is one years of age and has been in emergency room with stuff getting stuck in there, and they, it goes away, they come to emergency room, it goes away, or it, they push it in and then they go home. And I, we've had both parents who would bring the kids and then go home, come back again, same problem recurs. Would you fix those kids? Well, most of the time it's just reassurance, and it's a good understanding from the parent of what the hernia is. These little hernias can be very large in some children. They can be a whole proboscis. A whole, the, the belly button really sticks out far. And if, if that's the case at about two and a half, three years of age, I'll move forward with those ones. Even though they may uh, uh, decrease in size, they're probably not going to close. The small belly button hernia that you can barely see, that you can just feel, I usually wait before their school age, four, five, maybe six and then I'll fix those ones if they're persistent and they don't go away. After about the age of six, it's very rare that they'll actually completely close spontaneously, but they can. Um, so my, my usual uh, algorithm or plan for closing these hernias is if they're very large, I do it a little earlier, two and a half, three years of age. If they're very small, I'll wait until they're just preschool age before I close them. So, Mike, this is what a belly button hernia looks like, a little protrusion right around the umbilicus uh, where it basically comes through the abdominal wall. And most of the time what's sticking up 
is a loop of, or part of a loop of intestine. And that's why it goes up and goes down. But these pass in and out very easily. They're asymptomatic. In other words, they're not causing any pain or any discomfort. And often it's, it's sort of a lost leader. The parent will say, my child's complaining of belly pain, which, by the way, is most commonly constipation. And then they have a belly button hernia. So the parent thinks that the belly button hernia is actually causing the pain. It's not difficult to tell when the belly button is actually causing the pain. It is very hard. It is very firm. It's very red. And when you touch it, the baby cries. Most of these umbilical hernias, you can push in and out. Um, so most of the time, I just want to reassure parents that a belly button hernia is not causing any problems, not causing any discomfort, and it should be fixed if it fails to completely go away at about the age of four or five years old. When they're very large and the child's about three years old, I will fix those at that age. For example, this is a great uh, a demonstration of a very large belly button hernia. Now, I will warn parents that it's not easy to make this a little inny, a cute little inny, once you've done the surgery. And I think that's an important thing to keep parents' expectations realistic. The skin is stretched here, so that's what you see. The, the, the hole can be small, but the skin is so stretched up, so that's just an extra excess skin. That's exactly right, Dr. Petrosian. Uh, the, ec the problem with this cosmetically is dealing with that extra skin. It's easy to close the little hole in the abdomen, the fascia, as we call it. That's quite easy to close. But how do you deal with the skin? And there are different tricks, how you can decrease the skin, how you can make it smaller, how you can make it more cosmetic. And one other thing I wanted to discuss, especially in belly button hernias, a lot of times we see kids who present to us with a diagnosis of umbilical hernia or a ventral hernia, I should say. That's probably more, more common. Or umbilical plus ventral hernias. And uh, they actually have diastasis recti. And what it is is basically your rectus abdominis muscles or six-pack in a, in a normal term, they kind of far apart from each other. And then the tissue in between is pretty weak. So this picture actually shows that uh, finding, and uh, Dr. Stanley, I want you to show that, yes, th those are the muscles that uh, uh, around it and the, fat and, the, and the tissue in between is pretty weak. So you have this protrusion in the abdomen in kids, especially when they cry and uh, they lift up their head. So this protrudes out and it looks like as a hernia. And a lot of times it gets confused as a ventral hernia or umbilical hernia. We'll, we'll get the referral from, uh, from different places, but this is not a hernia. I want to reassure those parents who have this in their, who kids have this, this is not a hernia. It's a normal phenomenon. It should go away as they get older once the abdominal muscles get uh, stronger. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dr. Petrosian. A diastasis recti is just separation of the muscles on the abdominal wall, as you said, the six-pack. And these do not need to be operated and should not be operated because as the child's musculature matures and develops, this, this defect, as it looks, will disappear with time. Now, I just noticed, Mike, in this uh, picture that you've yeah, shown there's here, a tiny there's a small epigastric hernia right over there, which is something a little different. The epigastric hernia is another little opening in the abdominal wall, and these can actually hurt and sometimes do need to be fixed or repaired. But that's just something to keep in mind. The large defect is the diastasis rectus. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Sandler, for this insightful uh, podcast on hernias. I'm sure a lot of parents out there will appreciate. I want to remind parents that if your child has an inguinal hernia, please go see a pediatric surgeon wherever you are. And they should be able to guide you, hopefully, and fix you the way they feel comfortable. Uh, we do a lot of uh, minimal invasive operations here as well. So if you are in the region, please come visit us. 
If there are any questions or concerns, please email us at info at surgeryeducation.com. Thank you for subscribing to our channel. If you haven't subscribed, so go ahead and push that button, subscribe, uh, follow us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you.